Welcome to the Blair Technique Podcast. Uh, just a quick intro to this episode. Uh, Dr. Tyler Evans actually conducted the interview this week with Dr. Fred Harkins. Uh, Dr. Harkins practiced closely with Dr. Muncie for a number of years and also took some seminars and, and had interactions with Dr. Blair. So one of the few living chiropractors who can speak from that perspective. And the guy's got 40 plus years worth of experience, a ton of wisdom to offer, and there's a lot of clinical pearls in this uh, discussion. So listen closely, uh, heed the experience and the advice of Dr. Harkins, and um, a shout out and, and big thank you to Dr. Tyler Evans for coordinating and making the interview happen. Uh, Dr. Harkins is someone that I've learned quite a deal from, and I know a lot of others have as well, and I hope that uh, you learn a lot from him in this episode as well. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Would you give me a little bit of a background about, you know, just who you are, Fred, where you're at, um, how you got introduced to upper cervical chiropractic care? Okay. Um, well, I've been an upper cervical patient since I was a couple of months old. Um, it seems there was a, an, a drop accident at birth. Uh, I was in the hospital my first Christmas, six weeks old. They were doing spinal taps for blood and cerebral spinal fluid. Um, and they did seven at one time and four at another time, according to my mother. And, um, then a couple of months later, I got to Dr. Joseph Mazzarelli, uh, who was our family chiropractor the whole time I was in New Jersey and beyond. Um, and so he started adjusting me at a couple of months old and apparently everything cleared out from that as we know. Um, blood flow to the brain, often regulated, controlled by some upper cervical uh, influences, whether it's correct or whether it's subluxated. Um, throughout uh, school, um, I'm going to say up until the late teen years, um, we went every few months or, uh, to see Dr. Mazzarelli. He was about 20 miles away. Uh, which uh, was an unreasonable distance to for the teachers in school to understand because in the town that I grew up in, Florence, New Jersey, Florence and Roebling were separated by a street. Uh, Dr. Shaver had uh, an office in Roebling and an office in Florence, and they were only a little about a half mile or more apart. So the idea of traveling... Um, you know, and they used to argue with me that I couldn't have a chiropractor for a family doctor. And I said, well, how come I haven't missed a day of school in six years, you know? So <laughs> so anyway, that's the, the situation there. Uh, I and, went... And uh, uh, Fred, um, Dr. Mazzarelli, uh, you mentioned him the other day. And, and what was his uh, first name? Joe. Joe Joseph Mazzarelli. Mazzarelli. Joseph P. Mazzarelli. His son... Uh, Joseph Jr. Uh, practiced uh, also. Uh, Joe Sr. was in Camden, New Jersey, when we used to go to him. Then he moved to Cherry Hill. And then Joseph Sr. Jr. practiced in Cherry Hill. I think he's retired now. Um, so, you know, we had, that was our, uh, that was our chiropractic then. And that would have uh, been, when were, when were you born, Fred? Uh, November of uh, 47. 47. So this would have been, you know, 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yes, yes. I uh, I went away to college in, uh, let's see, it would have been 1966. Graduated from Wilkes College, 1970. Um, basically only came home a few times a year. I played football while I was there, so there was a lot of trauma. In col college, high school or college? I played in high school, uh, a military prep school in college, you know, so I played through about 1968 season, I believe, and uh, 
the list. Well, we were undefeated the last five years at those three schools, but in college we were undefeated those three years uh, that I played. So anyway, there was a significant amount of trauma involved. I was on the kickoff team. And, uh, you know, so you're running full speed down and trying to hit somebody, which going full speed as much as you could and still hit them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I would come home at Thanksgiving and I would come home uh, at spring, you know, at uh, Christmas and then uh, and then Easter. Uh, those were the only times I got home and then I'd be adjusted whenever I was there. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, Doc, what got you into chiropractic school per se? Were you, did you know you wanted to be a chiropractor or what got you into chiropractic? That was kind of interesting <clears throat> because, uh, you know, senior year, senior year, I went down to the Air Force recruiter and was looking to go in on the early M program or, you know, and so I took the test for officer training and pilot school and was uh, slated to go there. Um, there was a problem with the hearing and I ended up taking three different hearing tests. Last one at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland, where it was, a, you know, uh, kind of a shield sound shielded room. And, uh, so anyway, I was going through that and to, uh, to avoid the draft being drafted because uh, you know Vietnam was going on at that time they made some arrangement for me to go into the National Guard and then be transferred in the Air Force uh, but uh, that took so long that I had to take a second physical and I uh, checked that both parents had diabetes on there which by the way was not true I found out later <laughs> Well, that's a disqualifying factor for being an officer in the Air Force. So they sent me a letter and said I was out of the program. Oh. You know, uh, over one check mark that wasn't correct, my whole direction changed. Huh. Uh, so anyway, um, I didn't know what I was going to do then. And after a while, I, in just a short time, my brother is in chiropractic college at Davenport. And I just decided almost over the course of a weekend to do it, and to do that. So I went off in October of 72, uh, you know, to start uh, Palmer College. And and who is your brother? Jack Harkins. Dr. Jack Harkins, who was... Uh, uh, he had an office in uh, Florence, New Jersey, and Dr. Blair actually certified him to teach. There was a college named Adio near there uh, that was just across the river in Pennsylvania. And the students used to come over to Jack's office, uh, you know, to do x-ray, and he was doing some training with them. And uh, so what year would have Jack uh, graduated then from Palmer? 75. He graduated in 75. Yep. Um, and then I'm not sure how long he practiced. Um, I, I don't know that. He practiced for some time after that. And he taught for a short time at uh, ADIO, right? A couple years? A couple years? Well, he. I think the students were actually coming over, and he was doing seminars. He was doing Blair seminars for them at his office. Oh, okay. Got it. He, he actually taught at ADIO. Uh Dr. Mazzarelli was very uh, active in chiropractic politics, and he was president of whatever they had in New Jersey. Is also president of the ICAC uh, at one time. Um, ICA, I mean the ICA, right. uh, or chairman, whatever is the head, their head yeah. position. I'm not sure. He was the president for a period of time. Was that in the 70s, probably? Yeah, that probably was in the 70s, because I remember him coming and visiting the school. And then uh, I went on a lobbying trip to Washington, D.C. with the ICAC, which is International Chiropractic Association of California, and um, met him down there. He was involved in that. Uh, you know, we were lobbying uh, congressmen senators that sort of thing got it and you would have and you said you graduated you went to school in 75 or you graduated in 75 i graduated december of 76 76 okay yes got it 
And it was a what three year program then? No, it was four. Four. It was four year program. I squeezed the whole four years into five because uh, I had to take some time off to make make some money. I don't know why. It, you know, I I worked at a at a hotel. Uh, you know, when I wasn't doing that. So. Got it. Got it. And so your brother, your brother was kind of the person that got you into chiropractic. I mean, you, you were under chiropractic care, but Jack was kind of the one that pulled you in. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, he'd already gone on. I said, you know, I decided to do that. Um, you know, my life has taken some turns that, uh, were not what I initially planned. Yeah. As I think, I think we, we all have those stories. I mean, I know my story is kind of similar. Um, and so, uh, uh, Fred, then going on into Blair work, then your brother was, was aware of the Blair work and probably knew, knew Dr. Blair before you did. Did he introduce you to, uh, the work or how did you get introduced to the Blair work? Jack and my wife, Pat both took um, Blair classes from Jim Souter at Palmer. Got it. And Dr. Dr. Blair uh, had, um, you know, we'll call it certified, uh, Jim to teach at Palmer. Um, so they were, they were already involved. I don't know that he ever met Dr. Blair during that time. Got it. Uh, we went, wife and I got married um, in May of 75. Uh, we went on a three-month honeymoon. We got married at school, so we were visiting relatives from Connecticut, New Jersey, Chicago, um, California. California, Northern California, Southern California here. So, And we were at the same time, you know, kind of thinking about where we wanted to practice. Um, Somehow California beat out New Jersey. I'm not sure how the family went. Right, right. And and so you and Pat met in school then? Yes, we met. We met. Yes, in school shortly before she graduated. And so uh, I met her in March. We were married in May. We were engaged a week. And... Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> And yeah. and uh, Pat graduated when again? She graduated. Uh, let's see, in '75. I think she probably graduated in it, when Pat June. June of '75. She graduated. There you go. Cool. Yeah, because then we took that summer, and you know, and then I met Dr. Monsi and first got adjusted in August of uh, 1975 when we were out here. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about it. She'd been tell be telling me about Blair, and I was all that accepting initially. Uh, so she was talking about how specific it was, and I didn't understand what she was talking about. Pettibon, I think, was the one who would be looked at as the most specific for the upper cervical uh, until you understand what Blair is doing, which is a whole different uh, sort of a, a ball game. Interesting. And, so you were you were kind of influenced influenced more by the Pettibon crew when you were in school then? No, I wasn't. I took the I just took the HIO work there, you know. But essentially, what I was doing was Gonstead. Got it. And okay. I, I was going to a Gonstead practitioner. Um, I've had a significant amount of trauma, you know, mm -hmm. car into a tree, motorcycle into a ditch. When I was a Palmer, I didn't do a backflip in the living room and landed on my face. And uh, that created a significant problem more than was created in football in my, you know, my last year there. Um, and so there was, what there was, was an Axis ARS in there and nobody understood what it was. Yep. Uh, you know, Gonstead says everything goes down and back and that's great unless it went up and forward. Yep. So it was kind of a toss up whether it was better to find it for them to find it and break it up or to, uh, you know, leave it alone mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> push it the way it was already subluxated. So when I came out here, then Dr. Muncy x-rayed me and adjusted me 
And he showed me on the x-rays what had happened, you know, and explained it. And I'd been palpating it since 68, since a tackling injury created by my big tackle friend, John Mosher, trying to help out. Uh, and uh, so I'd been feeling it. I knew it was there. And then when he adjusted it, that all released, you know, it was a kind of a knot over the anterior superior zygopophyseal articulation on the right side on the axis. And that released, and I felt things released throughout my body that, that had never uh, released before, you know. Fantastic. And Fred, so you and Pat went out to California then uh, just, you know, looking for warmer weather probably and, and uh, sunnier days. <clears throat> um, I was looking to return to Southern California. She'd actually had Newport Beach in her in her in her sights there okay. before we got married. Was she and from Was she from California? Uh, she was. She grew up in Chicago till early teen years, and then the family moved out here uh, due to her basically her mother's health, I believe, and the fa fact that her father, I think, had a back injury working for the railroad. So they they moved out here. She had an uncle that had a hay ranch out here in Lancaster, and uh, so then they lived out here. Um, and then she started working for Dr. Muncie. She was his first CA, and that was about 1970. Uh, he was originally working down in uh, Torrance and uh, that area. And then he moved up here. He was with Sonny Jones and Dan Kuhn down there. And, and uh, he decided to open his own practice and came up here. Um, he graduated 58. Uh, I think he came up here about 65, maybe 64, somewhere in there. Uh, and opened his practice here. And then the family started going there. And um, her father, who had various jobs with aircraft and finally became the head of janitorial services at a school here, uh, he had such good results that he got the whole family of six under, you know, under regular care um, on a cash basis. Um, you know, and then Pat's mother went to work for Dr. Muncie as a uh, uh, his his receptionist and front end manager, actually. And she was his uh, receptionist during the busiest time I believe he had. You know, when uh, it was when I first started practice with him, he was running 350, 400 people a week by himself. Nice. And uh, you know, so anyway. <clears throat> oh yeah. And and was Pat so Pat was is Pat a little younger than you then or is she about five years, yeah, five. five years younger? Okay. Yeah, so okay, got it. And so then you and Pat came out to California, um, met Dr. Muncie, and that's kind of what got you into the the Blair work then under Dr. Muncie. He, he adjusted me, you know, and it was yeah. just uh I didn't feel anything right after the adjustment, but then I started through, we were here about a month and I held the adjustment the whole time. Now I had never been, that was a new concept. I'd have been adjusted every time I went to a chiropractor all my life. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, naturally he was doing the graphs and all that. He ran his practice mostly by, by the, uh, the graph back then. And uh, I held here. We drove back to Iowa three days. I was still in adjustment when I got there, which is really surprised me because a one-day drive to New Jersey would always get me out of adjustment from Palmer. And then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I was still in adjustment till I got tackled playing touch football um, a couple months later. You know, and I got up and I could feel the old muscle pull back. We were there essentially for almost another year. Yeah, more than another year. And nobody could straighten it out until I got back here. When we came back out here in December 76, Dr. Muncie adjusted again and, uh, you know, cleared it out again. So that whole, I'd say, period from August of 75 till December of uh, 1976 was a great touch hot lesson you might say in player effectiveness and that sort of thing you know yeah very cool very cool 
And um, so then when did you meet Dr. Blair for the first time? Meet who? Dr. Blair. Okay. Um, Dr. Blair held a seminar, I think it was about September of 1975 in Davenport. Dr. Muncie actually came out for that one. And so I met, that was my first experience with Dr. Blair at a seminar, and that was a primary there. Uh, Got it. And uh, what was your, this is uh, kind of a, a, you know, probing question here. What was your take on like the, the character differences between Dr. Muncie and Dr. Blair, like kind of comparing the two of them? Well, they were actually quite similar in some respects. Dr. Blair was very, um, very scientifically minded. And, you know, he just checked everything to the degree, you know, he'd do 100, 100 cases with some sort of a thing he was trying. And Dr. Muncy was an engineer before he went into practice. Hmm. So uh, Muncy was always experimenting with something. He was upper cervical uh, when he went into practice out here with uh, Jones and Coombe. And they were always working on something. Um, so they had the same sort of a bent for that. Uh, Dr. Muncy was a promoter. Dr. Blair mainly did promotion almost reluctantly, I think. You know, his his personality was very uh, almost introverted. You know, his seminars were were very he thought about everything he was going to say before he said it and if you ask him a question he'd repeat it the same way dr muncie had the same tendency in his seminars but uh, you know so they were great friends they were, and dr blair said that dr muncie was his most advanced uh uh student very cool very cool and um with dr muncie uh, it seems like he might have been a little more of the uh, kind of the more extroverted, less introverted than Dr. Blair and and kind of more of the the guy to take it on and, and help keep it going afterwards. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Blair. Uh, Dr. Blair had Dr. Muncie teaching some seminars when we came out here. In uh, December of 76, uh, Dr. Muncie set up a seminar and he had Pat, you know, giving the notes out and, you know, essentially conducting that. And then he came back while he was practicing back there, you know, in the, in the space he had in the back there, uh, room where, you know, he gave lectures and things like that. Um, so, but then when, when Dr. Blair started to have his health fail and couldn't run his practice one of the things he did was dr muncie came in one day and in the early 80s i'm going to say it was 81 or so and he said uh, dr blair has some new adjustments that he wants tested he said are you interested in being in on that i said sure and so it was the double adjustments the double as and the aspi uh that that we were testing for Dr. Blair that, um, and they had been talking about this for a while. Right. I right. don't know if I got off track of your question. There. No, no, that was great. Yeah. That was, that was a, a good lead. Okay. And, um, yeah. So what about you, doc? What about, um, you know, with your years of experience and practice, uh, what are some, you know, clinical pearls and things you've learned over the years that you find, you know, with the Blair work, maybe in, in specific? Uh, I never took Dr. Muncie's seminars, uh, but I visited most of them. And, you know, I, if, if I was there it's at the conclusion on Sunday, Dr. Plant Muncie always said, Dr. Harkins, is there anything you'd like to say? <laughs> one of the things I always said was, one of the things Dr. Muncie is very good at is deciding what needs to be done today. You know, yeah. just staying on track with what needs to be done today. Uh, he... 
developed his own system of both promotion, which was all in-house, and the system that he ran patients through, where he had about he had about six women working there. One did insurance, uh, one did the front desk, managing the front end, and he had four assistants that were moving patients in and out. Um, so you have to be patient with what you're doing. Um, he always used the graph, I would say, about 90, 95% of the time, and the leg checks were coming along, and I think he was the one that, one that pushed the leg checks using the Thompson-Deerfield. Um, at Palmer, they were just using the graph, I believe, and it was the people that were almost savants at using the graph, like Muncie and Blair, who stick, stayed with that, you know, stuck with it. Um, but then Dr. Muncy was always working on something behind the scenes, which I don't believe the people that learned through his seminars realized. But those of us who worked with him, you know, Dr. Kennedy, Dr. Elder, uh, my wife, Pat, and, and I all knew that because, you know, we saw him all the time. So, um, but he kept his, uh, he kept his practice almost separate from things he was working on. And sometimes he included them, sometimes he didn't. Uh, he was the one, I believe, that came up with the idea of shooting protractors through the maxillary sinus. Uh, Dr. Blair was shooting them wherever they came on the AP plane line, I believe. Um, and he, uh, he was also one that changed the x-ray system from uh, reducing seven degrees if you saw a double misalignment because he he became convinced if you saw a double misalignment on the atlas, double anterior uh, or you know whatever whatever it was that uh, it was actually there, you know. Right. And then he might decide if he was going to adjust one of them or or two, you know. When he first X-rayed me, uh, he found an axis ARS and ASR and an ASL. And he just decided for some reason to just adjust the axis ARS and the ASR, and that worked fine. Um, when I, apparently the birth injury caused a cleft anterior and posterior arch in, in my atlas. So it essentially separated a little bit. So even if it's in adjustment, it shows a, um, an overlap on both sides. Uh, I detect that by my palpation system that, um, you know, that I described to you in, in when we were talking before. Right. So, <clears throat> do you want to describe that a little bit, Doc? Do I want to what? Describe that a little bit, the palpation system you developed? Yes. Uh, okay. So what I was feeling, it started with this tackling, this tackling injury at the Haverford game in 1968, actually. And uh, after that, you know, that was created that axis ARS. Um, I could feel in there, I could feel what I can describe now you know, as a taut and tender fiber and nodding on the anterior superior part of the uh, of the uh, zygopophyseal articulation uh, on uh, the axis three area. And so I felt that, you know, dissipate, relax after Dr. Muncy adjusted it. And of course, constant, you're palpating uh, taut and tender fibers. So what I was also what I also do is use a mild motion to see if the segment is movable or if it's fixed, and then if it's got the tenderness, uh, the taut tenderness there. Um, and I think I sent you the pictures of the kind of the muscle map taut tenderness um, that goes with correlated with the Blair listings, which is I did this palpation on patients since I started. And uh, so I've been doing it for the whole, you might say, 47 years I've been in practice here. Uh, and um, so it's just kind of second nature. And I use that to decide more complicated cases of how um, 
how I'm going to approach it, what I'm going to adjust on a certain day. Uh, because in the very complicated ones, it moves around. Um, for instance, my own has a, after the head on collision, I was telling you about 10 years ago, I ended up having issues at, at every level, um, has been adjusted since then, uh, which has been very successful. Uh, I've gotten back to full activity. I was out of the office for eight months in a hospital bed for two. Um, kind of the last thing that happened to turn it loose was Dr. Murray Galbraith, who actually uses the system also. Um, I could tell there was something down in five, six, and seven, but I could never decide what it was. And uh, Murray did some muscle testing that he uses on it and decided it was the seventh that was anterior on the right. And I said, we'll go ahead and adjust it. So he did that and then he, that turned it loose. Now I use the graph system differently. I think than maybe being used, I don't determine, uh, try to determine if people are out of adjustment with it. I'm using to see what the state uh, status is in their cervicals. For instance, I've got people, one I can think of, uh, I first adjusted her about four years ago and she that's the only adjustment she's had but if you look at the graphs that they have gone through various phases of what you would call patterns but staying in adjustment and doing you know some muscle relaxation work um they have moved through that which is fairly typical of people who have had long-standing um cervical upper cervical misalignments and particularly if they've gone through the developmental years i had a young chiropractor in practice for two years come in yesterday and it turns out that he'd had something since he was 13 he played professional soccer uh, so he's had uh, you know a lot of different traumas and created a lot of problems for him he can't even sleep through the night uh, he has various musculoskeletal things and, uh, you know, so he wanted to know about Blair because, uh, actually the guy who manages his chiropractic office comes to me, the one where he works. And so he came over and, uh, I went through the whole Blair, uh, explanation and the x-rays and the palpation with him. And, uh, so he had, uh, uh, I used the prills, determined that it was pointing to the atlas vertebra. And uh, so we did the Thompson deer field also, and he had a right negative deer field, left cervical syndrome, and of course, x-ray adjustment balanced off. Now, I also use a dual scales weight balance. Uh, this guy is, uh, he's in the top end for athletes. Uh, having played professional soccer and his body was if you put it on the you know the posture analyzer his body had very little deviation uh, i think his his hips were on his shoulders were left his head was was centered uh, and he didn't have more than one or two degrees off on on the level of the ears the shoulders and the hips Okay, now what do I do is I make the adjustment, I recheck them on the Thompson Deerfield where he was clear there, and then I put him back on the dual scales to see what's happened. Okay, he went from from five pounds off to ten pounds off. Uh, after he was adjusted, I put him back on the, uh, the the postural analyzer, and now his shoulders were centered, but his head and his hips were off. And that's pretty typical. Uh, when I put him on the on the weight balance, where his weight was very steady before, now it was going, it was going up and down like 15 pounds one way or the other, which is going to be a double difference. So he's he's now varying 20 to 25 pounds at least. And what will happen now, uh, with my experience, is that his body will be now trying to find what its new balance is with the nerve channels open and clear and with the, you know, with the legs balancing. Uh, and we'll follow the progress for that 
what I do is check them two or three, two times a week for two or three weeks, see where they are. I check them at least once a week out to six weeks where you come through the time when, uh, where, where it will go through, um, you know, kind of an activity spike there. You know, during the first two weeks, you're maybe just seeing things settle down. Then it might seem like nothing's happened symptom-wise for, you know, the next three, maybe four weeks. <clears throat> and uh, But you can see on the graph that things are active and happening. Now, you get out to five or six weeks, and you get that typical spike where they may hold, they may not hold. Symptoms may come back. They may get new symptoms. Okay, so I check them there. If they're in adjustment, I'll check them in two weeks. And if they're in adjustment after that, then I'll start them at once a month because they're going to go on. This this guy, I told him, you're going to go on for years at this because you went through the de developmental stages. Uh, Dr. Muncie and I took the qualified medical course, which was six months. Uh, and uh, in the workers' comp system here in California, they presented everybody in it because they were the judges didn't like the situation where one attorney saying he's a paraplegic and the other one saying he's ready for the olympics they wanted a realistic middle ground analysis and that's what the qualified medical examiner uh, course was about it was run by a woman who was uh, she was head of 150 adjusters i forget what her title was in a in a an insurance company and then she worked with a broad scope chiropractor who did all sorts of things uh, and they would assess. And she told me, she, well, she told the whole class, she said that, uh, you know, and this was kind of offhand, she was saying that she had seen a lot of people self-rehabilitate in five years, okay? Well, I had, when I broke my elbow, well, when I broke my elbow, had it operated on in 1988 had a pin put in it uh i asked the doctor how long to full strength for my arm and he said well maybe 30 months and i said well i think i could double my arm strength in six if i wanted he said no you have to understand that different tissues heal at different rates and it's almost like a leapfrog this has to strengthen to stress that okay and then you can have this cycle going on through muscles ligaments tendons that sort of thing. That's a really yeah, good so, point, Doc. That's a good, that's a really key point. Yeah. So I have found that this 30 months was was about true, you know. Yeah. And in my practice, what I've seen is people will go cycles of this mm -hmm. and and then straighten out. Um, Dr. Muncie had, had a, uh, a CEA working for him and she came over and when i went into practice after six years over there and opened my own office she came over after a while and we just got along very well and she went eight cycles and she came in one day and she said she said dr harkins i have no pain i said Jeannie, what are you talking about she said i didn't know you could feel this yeah, I said, and she'd been one of my top referrers all the way along. You know, mm -hmm. I said, "What do you What do you mean?" She said, "Well, it, it always helped. It always reduced the pain." But you know, I didn't know you could feel this way, and that took eight cycles. So I've seen it go. This lady said basically two cycles. I have seen it be pretty common. You know, so when I'm analyzing cases or, you know, when I'm doing a case history, what I do is I say, what was your first significant trauma? Mm. And, you know, I work forward from there besides what we're getting about the symptoms and, you know, trauma and all that. Um, what was your first significant trauma? And then I go forward to see what what traumas they've had along the line. And I can get an idea there uh of what we might be looking at is in the post care you know what how long it's going to take and what we might be expecting so uh yeah no this young fellow that came in yesterday i told him you're going to this is going to be going a long time because you have uh you know you went through the developmental years you're 27 now half your life you've been you know and i adjusted him about his legs balanced. I did the, you know, right, left, center in a, uh, 
and Thompson Deerfield, I, and I went out, the table was coming up. I said, it's probably the first time since you're 13 years old that your body's been this way. Yeah. Yeah. And then we took them right out, you know, and for the visual and for my information, I put them on the dual scales. Yeah. So, uh, well, that's, that's, uh, I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, good clinical pearls right there. Um, if we could uh, real quick, I want to try to squeeze in a, a two more topics. Um, one is the pro leg checks. Cause you were talking about the palpation skills that you developed and, you know, we, I think we relied, uh, more heavily on those in the past, uh, within the, uh, upper cervical world. And now we've kind of shifted more to leg checks and scanning, um, and some palpation, but, um, you know, I think the, the prills came in later on in the, uh, in the work. And can you just tell, uh, kind of how that developed, uh, in the Blair work? Dr. Blair or Dr. Kuhn was on a plane flight with Dr. Prill and they started talking about this and Prill has a book on this. So, uh, Kuhn told Muncie about it. And so I guess Dr. Kuhn went through the book and looked for the things that apply to the cervical region, particularly the upper cervical. And then he found the ones that went down to C4. Okay. So Dr. Muncy set up a testing situation with a half a dozen doctors to uh, test the prills and see how, you know, how effective they were, how consistent were they were. Pat was, my wife, Pat was one of the people that was in on that. And so then he introduced it into the player work through his seminars as a result of that. And, and roughly when was that, Doc? Roughly. You know, that's, we were looking that up and, uh, you know, I'm at home now. It was somewhere maybe 90 in, in the, in the mid 90s, I see Pat was using them back that far. Yeah, that's okay. where I think you had said 95, but, you know, it's ish, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's one aside I might give you. Yeah. Going back to the, the palpation, um, I met this uh, fellow over at Dr. Kennedy's office a couple times when I was over there, and uh, he called me up one day and he said, he said, say, can I come over and talk to you about that maneuver that you and Dr. Kennedy do that he says you showed him? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. Well, he came over and he told me that he was in a, a parachute jump school accident with the Army in Panama in 1972. And essentially what happened is on one of the jumps, he got knocked out, hit the plane somehow woke up on the ground they don't know what happened in between wow okay so then he had some significant problems they don't know if the chute opened when it opened that sort of thing but you know it was 1200 feet so he got to dr muncie about 1980 and it just made a dramatic difference for him and so then dr kennedy when dr muncie uh, you know was out of practice dr kennedy took over his practice he was doing the same things. So this fellow told me that what Dr. Kennedy's doing makes my life livable. Yeah. Uh, and and mainly it's some mixed things with upper cervical and some lower cervical adjustments, but he needs to be adjusted frequently. And Dr. Kennedy had suggested one time, he even said, why don't you go over to Dr. Harkins for a couple of weeks and see if that will, you know, if his take on it will, will be add to the effectiveness. So this guy travels around, I guess, a lot. He had gone to uh, maybe five or six different Blair people, and he wants them to do the palpation and determine, uh, you know, what's there. And he said, how come nobody knows this? I said, well, it's not Blair. It's something from my own experience with my own case. And so he got to this fellow up in Meridian, Idaho, and uh, um, he the guy said, well, if it doesn't show, I don't adjust it. And he said, please, doc, I'll sign any release you want. <laughs> <laughs> please do this here. And he showed him, a, I guess it must have been, you know, an AS knot on his, his uh, you know, one of the lower cervicals, mm -hmm. probably four. And he adjusted it. And he's, then he said the fellow felt it was very 
surprised that the knot went away. And he said, wow, that's great, Doc. Because this guy, he stays on top of it and he has instant results, you know, yeah. for what, he, what he's feeling. So anyway, he asked me to do videos on it. And I was reluctant uh, because of the experience with the prills. Because when you open it up to caring people, wanting to solve problems for people, yeah. they can get away from, from letting the work have its effect and working it out, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And you're aware of that you can so become over that, over uh reliant on you know just checking and going with uh uh results that uh, may or may not be necessarily what's going on yeah you can be chasing symptoms instead of because most of chiropractic is is going by symptoms and we're going by function right so we're reestablishing function that's going to correct you know spinal problems and then reduce the symptoms so right so anyway it worked for him i did do the videos for him you know and uh he subsequently sent them to a guy in portland and he said it worked fine the guy understood what it was and mm -hmm. then went ahead with it uh, but anyway he has since moved to panama and he called me before he he called me before he went and said i really want to thank you he did come over we were both working together, Dr. Kennedy and I on him, and I think we re I reduced the number of adjustments we were doing and changed some a little bit, and he said that had settled things for him pretty much. Um, fantastic, fantastic. Um, Doc, before we, uh, before we have to go, uh, would you just share a little bit about Lancaster and your connection to uh, the aeronautical industry? Oh, this this was kind of interesting. I was wanted to go into the pilot program where they threw me out, and I had, out here had the opportunity to fly with some F sixteen pilots. One of them with the gliders, and one of them he was an instructor for the F sixteen people, and another one uh, an F sixteen pilot who had an aerobatic plane, and he took me up, and uh, he, uh, you know, if he let me try flying his aerobatic plane. He asked me if I wanted to fly it. I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I tried to do a loop and I felt him take over when the plane fell over at the top, you know, and then we went out and landed on the dry lake bed. Um, the other fellow who was this instructor became, uh, he became an astronaut and he went down to, uh, you know, the Johnson Space Center. Now he came in and was a patient and he had back pain. Now he said they're only allowed to pull six G's, but they were pulling nine in some of these tests. And so while he was here doing that, the graph never changed. I mean, the, the results changed. His back pain was, was good. You know, he'd come in when he had to. Uh, but when he, when he went down to the Johnson Space Center, they were just using trainers for company cars to go around to different places. And all it was doing was flying trainers, you know, yeah. um, just driving around to different bases and things like that. Now, at that time, when he would come back, then the graph did change. So there are uh, postural strains that can continue to show a graph that looks like it's a pattern when it's really a reflection of the strain that they're under hmm. you know like if people like i had one that loaded trucks for a living and i had the um uh the budweiser uh, delivery guy you know i took care of him uh, throwing kegs around and things like that right uh, so very cool you were, yeah referring yeah to? and just you know you had some interesting stories there i know because you you guys practice in, Lan in lancaster right near there by um dr muncie's office right very very close yeah we were all within a few miles of each other i mean uh, dr dr elder dr uh, dr uh, kennedy's office we're only a couple of miles apart so we had a lot of we had a good basis to actually testing with patient results people that would go back and forth between the different practices basically on their schedule or the requirement or whose personality they like better and so we saw how different things worked out with different patients it was a good test bed um for that you know yeah no that's awesome Is that what you're yeah 
Yeah, and you you know just your your uh, proximity there to everybody, and um, yeah. So to to wrap it up, Doc, um, do you have any final like words of wisdom to young docs coming into Blair work, coming into the profession, looking to learn more about Blair work? Uh, well, I mean, everything is important. Accuracy is important. Dr. Muncie always used the phrase with scientific precision and accuracy and stay focused on what's happening today. Don't get ahead of yourself, you know, uh, let the function do the solving. You know, that takes some discipline and patient management, uh, you know, to be able to look somebody in the eye that's still in a lot of back pain and say, it's doing good. You're on track. You know, I heard my Dr. Muncie do that sort of thing, and it baffled me at first, you know, but you'll get into it later. I understand you were at 11 years of practice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That mm-hmm. was uh, actually the busiest time I had because we had the most going on with the aircraft here. There was a max mass exodus after that. I had 252 regular patients leave in, eight, in 18 months, oh. you know. But uh, by the time you get to your stage, you've usually got the knowledge, the energy, and enough practice experience to be really, you know, really running in your practice. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a few years to get get up and going. Would you? But it looks to me like there's a good support bed now among the various practitioners that, that, you know, that I know. I've got the opportunity to refer to a lot of people, John Stenberg, uh, you know, being one. Um, it, it looks like, it looks like you have things pretty well on track for people to have support from people with various levels of experience. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. We've got a strong Blair family right now. It's, it's really good. Really good. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.